After the success of the last two erotic tracks posted here on the Dirty Rabbit Hole podcast, I've prepared you another excerpt from my novel. If you like your erotica dark and gritty, get ready for the next tasty piece of noir erotica here on the Dirty Rabbit Hole podcast. Yes, welcome to the Dirty Rabbit Hole. I'm Michael Foreman, author of psychological neo-noir and neo-noir erotica thriller novels. Noir erotica? Didn't you mean erotica, Michael? Now, I said that right, and you heard it right. Noir erotica is a correct term for what I write. The sex in my narratives has an element of darkness in it. If you keep in mind that the dirty rabbit hole is all about the shadowy sides of the mind, including the desires we hide from one another, the socialising and false pleasantries we use when communicating our lustful intentions to potential mates, the lies and the deception used to get that special someone into bed so we can have our wicked way with them, then you are closer to understanding my work. Yes, the sex in the writing is forceful too, but it's the intention behind it that I like to explore more. Just what are our lovers thinking prior to, during, and after something, say, like the first kiss, that first penetration, the completion of that first sexual encounter? Are they in love, lust, or do their actions come from selfish sources, or are they just acting out the part in a role they think they ought to play? Most of us like to think and believe our intentions are honourable. Some of us even promote that fact liberally. It's not until we stop and take time to examine our past more closely do we realise that what we say we do and what we will do, compared to what we've actually done, don't always match. We say we're in love, when what we really mean is, this brings me great happiness. I like that feeling, and I don't want to lose it. Please bring me more of this, this happiness. Well, they're not the same things. One takes, the other gives. Whether we get this wrong intentionally or not, our motivations often come from a place deep down inside us far beyond popular language tropes and social expectations, beyond everything. So far, we cannot see the end, hence the dirty rabbit hole. And our choices in life come from here more than anywhere else. So is it wrong to want and expect happiness? Can love and want coexist harmoniously without being challenged or bullied by guilt along the way? Do we expect far too much from each other, or can we give something more? They are great questions to ask, and fortunately, in fiction, I can explore both paths, finding answers in various routes along the way. My last couple of erotic pieces have done exceedingly well, and I'll get to reading you the next one in just a second. I just wanted to say that thousands of people have enjoyed listening to the previous ones. Amuses Pearl and Pussy Odor are pulling fantastic numbers, However, I think the latter has been mistaken for something else. Can I just let you know right now that my pussy odour track is not a track on feminine hygiene. It's actually about a man turned on by his lady's sexy smell. They were once lovers at an earlier time of their lives and then they meet again over a decade later. Her lady musk turns him on because it returns him to a time when the two of them were carefree and less inhibited. The track's title seems to have attracted an enormous amount of listeners expecting something on getting rid of vaginal odour instead. 
What a laugh, eh? No, our male protagonist doesn't want his lady to get rid of hers. He wants more of it so he can get more out of their sex and the lovely memory of their earliest encounters together. Anyway, that's what the piece was about. I guess I'll just have to be more careful with my choice of titles on future podcasts, right? Speaking of titles, this excerpt's title could have gone several ways. When I wrote one for today's podcast, I penned the words, Nudgy Sex not because I intended to use it, but so I could find the file more easily when looking for it later. It contains the two keywords that identify its location in the novel. I know by looking at them where, when, why, and what's going on in the track. Nudgy sex doesn't say much to a reader, though. Most won't know what nudgy means, and sex, well, that's not all that exciting. Yeah, sex as an act between two synchronised lovers is bloody fantastic. But as a word on a page, in a title, it means virtually nothing. There's no attraction in seeing S-E-X. It needs more zing to lure the eyes of the right reader to the page. Now, Nudgy, what's all that about? Well, actually, it's Nudgy Beach, and Nudgy Beach is a place. There's a river and a forest near Nudgy Beach. During this part of the book, a couple meet at the edge of the forest at night. They first communicated over the internet due to their mutual interest in photography, both keen to take pictures of lightning. She found him personable and quite knowledgeable on the topic, and then agreed to drive herself to the darkened cul-de-sac to learn how to do it properly. A storm approaches in the distance. There are flashes of light in the sky. In a deserted car park, she switches off her headlights locks the doors, and awaits the arrival of her photography companion. She is the only one there, and wonders where he is. He was supposed to arrive first. Just as she turns on her phone to call the guy, there's a knock on her window. It makes her jump, but she soon realises that he's the guy she's been expecting. Or at least she thinks so. They greet each other, exchange pleasantries, and then she collects her camera and tripod from the rear seat. She locks the car again and follows him into the forest. He brings out a pocket light and shows her a wooden boardwalk that meanders between mangrove trees and over a mud bank below them. They talk about photography, storms, and how he came to know of such a dark, desolate place on the outskirts of the city. Turns out he's a photography teacher who happens to know many places just like this one. She asks him many questions, most of which relate to cameras, carefully sidestepping subjects of a personal nature. It turns out he's not as single as he claims. There are clues. The indentation on his ring finger indicates his relationship status. Work boots in the back of her car denote hers. They are liars in a forest of trees, half-truths and undisclosed desires. After walking for some time, they reach a sandy area by the river and look back at the rising thunderheads. It's an amazing sight. Anvil-shaped clouds glow and pulse against the night sky. It's time to pull out the equipment and to start taking pictures. But she has trouble changing the lenses on her camera. He reaches over to assist, explaining how to do it in the dark. And this is where we pick up the story. Mitchell moved in behind and placed his right hand on hers. He reached around and then placed his left hand over her left hand. She was surprised by this, and let out a gasp. Do it slowly, Jane. The hole is right behind the lens. They're always right behind the lens. See? Feel that? That's where it goes. 
Now slowly turn the screw like this until it's all clamped up. See? It's all done. She turned her head to him and drew in a breath. Their lips connected. What took you so long? She whispered. She turned her whole body around and threw her arms around him. The next kiss lasted much longer. Their bodies pressed together tight. Lightning flashed at them from the distance, stimulating them, encouraging their tongues to explore and speak their intentions. I wasn't sure, Mitchell whispered back. Of course you were, Cyrus. Another lengthy kiss brought his hands over her body. She lifted her shirt and unhitched her bra. Well, I guess I won't be needing that, she boasted, tossing it aside, letting it land on the sand. No, he said, before taking a breast and filling it with his mouth. I've never done it outside like this. His head pulled back. Mmm, storm sex is the best. You'll see. Oh, yeah, there you go, baby. So go down and suck the other one. Mmm, that's it. Oh, oh, God, I'm so randy. He bit her and she growled a little. But it wasn't all bad. Oh, that's it, that's it. You can bite it, baby. Don't be shy. I can take it. He bit her again and she yelled and giggled. This one wasn't a quiet girl. She was a wild woman who advertised her enjoyment. He liked that. It turned him on to hear her breathe, growl, and to laugh. She suddenly reached for his crotch and took a hold of the lump behind the fabric. It had better be worth it, baby. Mitchell couldn't wait. He hurriedly undid his shorts and let them drop to the sand. She took hold of his shaft and held it tight. God damn, that's hard. Nice and thick, too. God, guys your age usually don't get that hard so soon. They don't? No, the younger ones do, but they pop too soon. You won't pop too soon, will you? Not until I'm ready. I don't want to waste a good time. That's what I like to hear. She dropped to her knees, wrapped her hot mouth over him and thrusted her head into his groin. Jesus, that fucking works. Oh, he shouted. She pulled back and said, Thanks. Give me your ass, baby. I can do better. She wrapped her arms around him and pulled him in tight while pushing forward with her mouth. Shit, you're a deep throater. Fuck, you're fucking swallowing it. She pulled off, smacked her lips and said, Yeah, but not all the way yet, baby. You can help, you know. Grab my head and pull me. Like I said before, don't be shy. With her hands around his buttocks and his around her head, she prepared her mouth at the end of his cock. It's big, but I can do it. Fuck my mouth like it's a pussy and don't hold back, babe. She hadn't even finished speaking before he pulled her head onto him. In one movement, she opened and went down. All the way. Her throat filled and her mouth kissed his stomach. Without warning, he pulled out and rammed it in again. She moaned and tugged at his bum. He got the idea and it soon became a fucking frenzy. She let him slide in and out at his own pace, at his choice of depth. She made gurgling sounds while he groaned, thrusting back and forth in the bursts of light. Christ, I've never fucked a throat before. I better make use of it while I've got it, eh? She moaned and nodded and settled in for several more minutes of face pounding. The storm behind her grew. Thunder rolling in between gurgles and groans. The camera and tripod had been forgotten. It sat on top of the sand, pointing in the direction of the glowing thunderheads and arcs that crawled over them. She didn't come for photography at all. Photography was a way to meet a man. Oh, yes. Jane was skilled at playing roles like this. She'd done it before. It might have needed a camera to get this man naked, but she performed whatever role was needed to get one and have her way with him. Deep inside, this angered Mitchell. He hadn't seen through her ruse. 
After a lifetime of being told to respect women and losing out to a callous and cold wife who constantly demanded it, he just found another who apparently lapped it up disrespectfully. She had to tell him to give her what she needed. Despite his heightened state of arousal, a tiny tinge of hate bubbled to the surface. If only he could have seen through the ruse beforehand. It was also disappointing. Cyrus was a lie to access women like Jane. Jane was living a lie to access men outside her marriage. Photography was only an excuse for the two of them to connect. Why did so many lies need to exist to cover sexual need and want? This awakened the beast. He quietly growled. You know why. Manipulate. Control. They win every time. Not every time. True. Nina didn't win. No, she didn't. Lightning flashed and lit up the sky again. For several seconds, the trees, the sand, the tripod, and two lovers appeared in daylight. If there were witnesses, they would have seen it all. She was feeding from his cock as he ferociously thrust into her drooling mouth. I could do this for you. No. Are you sure? I'm up for it. It takes a lot. No, really, I want this one. I can take over. You stay there. I've got this. Another bolt brightened the beach. Mitchell wrapped her hair around his fist and pulled her off his swollen cock. He dragged her by the head and she kicked at the sand, leaving lines and gouges in it. Get the fuck over there, he demanded, throwing her against the edge of the boardwalk. Her chest pressed against the side rail. Get a leg up on that fucking thing and bend over. Bend the fuck over. Eagerly, she complied, dropped her pants to her ankles. That's better. Now you can fuck me properly. Go on, fuck me like the slut I am. She lifted a leg onto the boardwalk, reached behind and opened herself up. In the burst of light, she gave him the view of her crack and a wide-open pussy. What do you think? Think you can handle it? What's wrong with her? She's not scared of you. Why not? You're not threatening enough. Just you wait, you fucking bitch. You'll get it all right. You'll be sorry. Mitchell pulled her hair and pushed his lengthy cock into her hot, wet pussy. She grunted as he yanked her head backwards and slammed his pelvis against her bottom. She arched her back and took the punishment. That's it, baby. Fuck me hard. Fuck me. Go on, you... Go on, use it good. It's not working. She's better than you. No. She's much better than you. Here, let me do it. No, I can do this. Mitchell let go of her hair, reached forward and took hold of her throat with both hands. She bucked and screamed with delight. Oh yeah, choke me baby, choke I love that, my makes me, you do that. Choke me good. Mitchell looked down at his shiny pole sliding into a woman he'd only just met. She was wet, very wet. She'd become aroused on a kiss and a blowjob. She was begging him to choke her. That's not right. She has you. It's not right. Oh yeah, jam it into me, baby. Harder, harder, pull, pull. Ah! He tightened his grip around her throat, waiting for the moment when she'd stop him. But it didn't come. He rode her like a jockey in full flight, her head bobbing as he drove her hard. The wind picked up and pushed the trees this way and that. Sand started to sting their legs. She begged for even more rough play, and he pushed harder. Through gritted teeth, she mocked him. She called him a failure. She teased him. 
She taunted him. Is that all you got, baby? But I want more. An imbalanced Mitchell suddenly snapped. The storm, the torment, the constant teasing about not being able to satisfy yet another woman was too much to bear. He tried so hard to hold on to the reins, but the beast wanted her too. He stepped in and Mitchell stepped out. The beast wasn't going to stand by and let this bitch get the better of them. He pulled out, spun her around, bent her backwards and entered her hungry cunt from the front. She lifted her leg up to accommodate him and he smiled as though she'd like what he was about to serve her. He leaned forward, took hold of her throat and whispered into her ear, It's no good facing away from me. I can't see the fear in your eyes. She thought he was acting out his dominating role and smiled again, groaning and wailing at the pleasure of a cock ending her at such an awkward angle. Rain now came down in sheets. It poured over their bodies. Her arms made wide circles in the air as she exalted the waves of excitement coming from deep within her core. Lightning struck a tree nearby and a crack of thunder thumped into them. This is it. Oh yeah, baby. Do that. Just, just like that. With that, he clamped down and closed off her throat, pushing hard, stopping oxygen and blood from reaching her brain. She was the first one not to be immediately fearful. She still thought it was part of an act. She grinned and continued to grind her hips to make the best of the action going on below. But her face did change. So did those arms. She stopped waving them about and grabbed his wrists to make sure she was aware that he had no intention of letting go nor playing games, he held her throat even tighter. He pushed her backwards and pinned her shoulders against the boardwalk. She struggled. She tried to pull his arms off her. She bashed them with her fists and then hit him on the head and face. As the seconds went by and the available oxygen was used up in her blood, it became harder to fend off her attacker. It became difficult to think. Rain fell and she flailed. His lower body thrust in and out while his upper remained absolutely still. His eyes fixated at the anguish in her face, waiting for the moment she'd teeter between life and death. He wanted his orgasm timed. True gratification came from filling her just before she passed. It was the last thing he wanted her to feel. Wind driven by leaves swirled by. Twigs from the nearby forest tumbled along the boardwalk. Some struck their skin at speed, stinging them before landing at their feet and continuing along the sand. If there were people nearby who had seen them arrive, or that mysterious flash pulse that came out of her camera earlier, then they did nothing to investigate it. If someone had heard her horny squeals and secretly watched from the bushes, then they didn't come forward when the aggression escalated. Those who might have planned to walk the path at night would have turned away. Once the rain came, no one would accidentally come across this attack. Kadaicha examined her eyes and saw them filling with rain. Two pools of water formed in their sockets. Her panic-stricken eyes stayed open while they filled. Those eyes were drowning and anyone could see the helplessness behind them. She was dying, but Kadaicha wasn't finished taunting her while she was still alive. Like the others before her, he needed to invade her body even more. It was his way of humiliating his victims further when sexual humiliation wasn't enough. Still holding her neck tight, 
He pulled her head towards him and then leaned over her face. A salacious tongue extended from his mouth and probed her left eye. It licked the eyeball and she felt the tip of it work its way to her tear duct, twisting and turning and digging under the eye. She shut it tight and twisted her head away. He twisted her head back and held it even tighter. He extended his tongue again, digging at the right eye this time. Like a well-lubricated snake, he got the tip to wriggle between the upper and lower lids. It probed underneath them, searching for the tear duct, tickling it as though it were the unexplored clitoris of a virgin. Saliva and hot breath formed foam in his mouth and it poured down along the tongue. Soon, a layer of mouth spoon covered the eye socket. She flinched, but her energy was almost gone. With every vile act he committed and every flinch she fought him with, his own excitement heightened. His testicles rose and the fire in his belly grew. Lightning froze millions of silver spheres of rain in midair. They seemed to hold there for ages, watching from all around. They couldn't help but stop and stare at the carnage. And then the spheres went black, disappeared into the darkness and exploded onto their flesh. He bucked wildly and injected his venom into her vagina. While his cock delivered below, his mouth flooded her face with foam from above, the tongue frantically digging, twisting, writhing on the eyeball all the while. She tried to close her eye, but it was useless. The tongue had its way. He squeezed out every drop into her, but he wouldn't leave until he was sure she was gone. When that eye was perfectly still, he pulled out and let go of her throat. It was done. She was dead. The person called Hun on her phone wouldn't be seeing her later. She wouldn't be handing the toys in her car to any child again. Jane's life was gone. Forever. Mitchell had stolen it. He'd taken advantage of Jane and killed her during coitus. He did what he'd done on each occasion before this and abandoned the body after he was done. There were no attempts to move or hide her. She would be found as she was left, naked, open-legged, and bent backwards over the timber walkway with one foot on the sand and the other dangling over the edge of the boardwalk. He got dressed just as the rain slowed, collected his camera, and rifled through Jane's camera bag to find her phone. He removed its SIM card and pocketed it. He returned the phone to the bag and then closed it. That SIM card became a star-shaped charm for his wife's teddy bear. Six charms now hung from its bracelet. Well, there you go. It's mysterious, isn't it? Six charms, you ask? What's all that about? And who's the other person in the narrative called Kudaicha? Well, you just have to read the book, won't you? Of course, this excerpt goes to a much larger, darker narrative, as if you couldn't tell. And our murderer finding hunting, sorry, a murderer finding and hunting victims through dating sites and social media. Unhappily married women looking for short-term romances meet him at clandestine locations. Their bodies discovered soon after a night of drenching thunderstorms. That's kind of how the whole thing goes. It's two-part psychological thriller, one-part erotica, 
and the rest is neo-noir. It's also in my next new, but as yet, untitled novel, the second in the trilogy. Well, that's not true. I do know its title. I'm just not ready to reveal it. I can, however, let you know that this and the third follow the original novel, Seethings, the source point of this sexually twisted, hideous nightmare. Well, does it sound like a book you might read? Well, it possibly it is. If you made it this far into the podcast, you may be interested. If so, read Seethings to find out more about The Hunt, Sadistic Sex, Alternate Realities, Situational Dissociation and Cognitive Dissonance. It all goes towards that psychological thriller thing. It's available from Amazon.com or immediate download from Kindle. Well, that's about it for this podcast. But if you thought you heard a bird or two in the background of this track, perhaps there was a tweeting or a chittering, you probably did. We've got a lot of birds um, nesting around our property at the moment, and there's things go- <laughs> there's things going on left, right, and center. Um, our friend Barry the Wagtail is busy preparing a nest in my garage, and he gets quite upset when another bird approaches him or his nest. Wagtails are as cute as a button, but they are ferociously territorial during the nesting season. Barry and his wife, Mrs. Barry, will antagonize creatures several times their size to move them on, and they're relentless when they do it. So I apologise if nature has crept into the sound file. Spring has sprung, and the birds are keen to get it on and raise their young in the warmer months. I don't mind so much. I even kind of like nature getting down and dirty. I'll even let them use my garage if it means improving their future. Besides, sex makes the world go round, right? I just wish I had a soundproof studio from which to make my recordings. Oh well, maybe I'll use the next million dollars I make from writing books on building a proper studio. <laughs> In the meantime, I'll make do with what I've got and record the podcast from right here, from home, birds and all. Remember, we've got several channels on the Dirty Rabbit Hole podcast, with this one for the erotic side of my writing, its antithesis, the driving force to my narrative, the Sexless Marriage podcast, and another for general comments, mostly regarding the writing process and the thoughts behind my books. It's where I talk about their characters, the plots, blah, 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 and blah. Just type in the words Dirty Rabbit Hole Podcast to see all of what's on offer. You can pick them up from iTunes or subscribe to them from wherever you currently get your podcasts. Alternatively, you can visit our home site at www.mfp.com.au forward slash angelwanderer for all of the podcasts. Or you can get information about me or my, my work there. There, that's it. All done. I'm Michael Foreman, author. Thank you for listening. Remember, no matter how much the sun shines, it can always rain on your parade. (laughs) 